Please pray with me. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you ever get discouraged in your walk with God? Do you ever feel like you just can't get it right? Like no matter how hard you try, you still seem to blow it. The story goes that uh, one day God was looking down on earth and he saw all of the rascally behavior that was going on. And he decided that he needed to investigate this. And so he sent one of his angels to earth. And uh, the angel was here for some time. And then he went and took a report back to God and said, yes, God, it's true. The earth is in chaos. 95% do bad. Only 5% are doing good. God was very concerned, of course. And so he sent another angel just to verify and confirm this report. And the angel was here for some time and came back to God and said, yes, Lord, it's true. The earth is, in fact, in decline. 95% are doing bad and only 5% are doing good. Well, God was not pleased, as you can imagine. And so he decided to send an email to the 5% who were doing good just to encourage them and to give them a little help to keep on going. And do you know what that email said? So you mean you didn't get it either? I, I was hoping you would know. You know, there's definitely a lot of rascally behavior going on on earth. Sometimes even among those of us in the church, among those of us who claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We struggle to be good. We struggle to do what's right. But all too often, sin rears its ugly head and, and uh, self-interest tenaciously clings to us. I doubt that any of us have ever received an email from God. If you have, you're the exception. But it's true that God has sent us a message. You might call it a text message if you're into cell phones and computers and all of that thing. But he sent us a message in his word to encourage us and to give us a little help along the way. It's a message sent to us this morning through the Apostle Paul in this book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul was writing to the believers in Thessalonica to encourage them to greater heights of love and obedience in their walk with Christ. Now the report that Paul received from Timothy about this church was generally positive. Good things were happening and uh, Paul's initial concerns and fears were laid to rest. And yet, as in any church, there were some concerns, a few issues to be addressed and questions to be answered. So Paul wrote this letter to address these specific issues and, and to answer some specific questions, but especially to encourage the believers here toward holy living as they wait for the return of Christ. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy. In the presence of God, our, of our God and Father, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. 
Chapter 4, verse 3 says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. 4, 7 says, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And finally, our passage for this morning, chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, which Pastor West read for us a few moments ago. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Paul's heart in this letter is that believers would live holy lives. My grandpa is one of my heroes of the faith. He was a pastor in Indiana who, who spent his life uh, serving the Wesleyan Church in ministry. He passed away several years ago, but I'll never forget a couple of conversations I had with him uh, during the time that I was in seminary. On one occasion, he said to me, seemingly out of the blue, he said, Son, let me hear you pray. Uh, okay, Grandpa. Why? He said, you're the preacher boy in the family now. That's what he called me, the preacher boy. And he said, if you're going to preach, you better know how to pray. That's pretty good advice. His other advice that I'll never forget was simply this. He said to me, son, make sure that you preach on holiness and hell. There's not enough preaching on those two subjects. Make sure you preach on them. Well, I've tried to heed his advice, albeit imperfectly. I confess I've preached many more messages on holiness than I have on hell. I do think it's worth noting, however, that the scriptures indicate some correlation between the two. Hebrews twelve fourteen reminds us that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God's word is full of exhortations. For you and me to pursue holiness. Holiness is not optional for followers of Christ. Well, taken solely in that light, holiness might sound a little negative. The fact is, though, that the message of holiness is very good news for us. You see, whenever God does any work in our heart, that's good news for us. And these verses in 1 Thessalonians 5 are really and literally a blessing for us. This passage is a benediction. The word benediction comes from two Latin words. uh, Bene, which means good, and diction, which means saying or pronouncement. And so a benediction is literally a good saying, a good pronouncement, a good word. And this one really is a good word for all of us. It's Paul's prayer for God to perform a deep, transforming work in our hearts and lives. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Now, what does it mean for God to sanctify us? That's a $10 theological word if I ever saw one. 
What does it mean? What does it look like? One translation says, may God himself make you holy in every way. Most, uh, uh, another, a couple of others say, may God himself make you entirely holy. Most versions keep the word sanctify. May God himself sanctify you entirely through and through. Sanctify, at its simplest, simply means to set apart. God wants to set us apart so that we are completely his, undivided in our loyalties and in our motives. There's a cleansing and a purifying element inherent in this process. The very nature of being set apart means removing those things which don't contribute to the purpose for which we are being set apart. The whole idea behind what Paul is saying and praying here is that God wants full ownership and control of our lives. Leif Anderson puts it this way. He says, God has no partners. God is not willing to have a minority or even a majority share in who we are. He insists on holding 100% of the stock. Some of you who work with computers are no doubt familiar with the concept of a dedicated circuit. That means that from the power source to the computer, there's a direct line that cannot be used for anything else. No lights, no toasters, no microwaves. A dedicated circuit is set apart for one exclusive use. That's what sanctification is. Our lives are set apart for God's exclusive use. Our circuitry is not divided between him and anyone or anything else. For most of us, though, it's not that way, is it? Some of us don't have a single outlet for God to plug into. For some of us, it's a 50-50 deal. For others, it may be 80-20 or 60-40. A few have no space for God at all. All their outlets are filled with themselves all week. But they may unplug one line for a few hours on Sunday and, and plug God in for just a little while. How about you this morning? Are you a fully dedicated circuit for God's use or is your circuitry divided? The Apostle Paul prays for change. He prays that God will sanctify us through and through until we all become fully dedicated circuits for the power and presence of God. Now, I'm afraid that many of us tend to think that God's job is to make us comfortable. The truth is that God's primary concern is not our comfort, but our purity through which can flow his power. And let's just be honest. Sometimes this process is uncomfortable. God wants us to be dedicated circuits for his use, and sometimes he has to pull a lot of plugs to do it. We may get upset when he pulls the plug on a relationship or a job or a dream or a sin. But sometimes that's what he has to do in order to sanctify us through and through. When God sanctifies us, he cleanses us. He purifies us from double-mindedness. He sets us apart. He frees us from bondage. From slavery to self, slavery to sin. 
Does this mean that we're completely free from sin? Not at all. We are all still marred and scarred by the fall. And we still live with the effects of sin in our lives. We're all frail, finite human beings for whom absolute perfection in this life will never happen. We still make blunders. We still say the wrong thing on occasion. We wrestle with our thoughts, our feelings, our anxieties. And sometimes we fail those around us. Being sanctified does not mean being free from error. It doesn't prevent us from falling short of God's perfect standard because of our weakness or the stage of growth uh, that we are at. As David prayed in Psalm 19, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. But David followed up on that by saying, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's really the essence of what it means to be sanctified. God's grace can free us from the inclination to disobey him. God can make us want to do what is right. He is able to to purify our hearts so that we will not willfully disobey him when we know what he wants. That's what Paul is saying here in this prayer. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Now I realize this may sound a bit simplistic. The reality is that for most of us, this is a lifelong process. It's not something that we attain with a quick prayer and a moment of consecration. This is not a name it and claim it change in our lives. At its core, I believe that God's process of sanctifying us through and through involves Him moving us at a down deep heart level from dishonesty with ourselves and with God about who we are to complete honesty with God and ourselves about who we are. It involves deep humility and regular confession of sin and repentance. And it doesn't mean at all that suddenly all of life's problems go away and then God begins to fill our cups with happiness and pleasures and blessings. Remember Jesus' prayer in John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them by the truth. And in verse 19, he prayed, For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. He prayed that both he and his disciples would be completely set apart for the will of God, knowing that both for himself and his disciples, this meant not comfort and pleasures, but persecutions, trials, suffering, and sorrow. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He also no doubt knew that the answer to his prayer for his disciples wouldn't result in a life of ease and comfort for them. And ultimately, all of his disciples, except John, were martyred for their faith and trust in him. Jesus knew the price they would pay, yet he prayed for them to be sanctified anyway. Because he knew that these disciples, set apart and prepared for God to use, would impact the entire world with the good news of Christ.
You see, God's primary goal is not our ease and comfort, but our holiness. God desires His people to be set apart and pure for His use. And only when we are entirely holy, only when we are sanctified, can we truly be happy because we will be pure and our hearts will be at peace. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. This is a good word for us. The really good news in all of this is that our sanctification is accomplished by God's power. It is God who sanctifies, not us. It's a work of his grace. God himself is the one who makes us holy. He alone is able to accomplish this in our lives. Our sanctification is accompanied by God's peace. It is the God of peace who sanctifies us. His sanctifying grace results in a truly right relationship with God and brings to our lives a deep abiding peace, the confident assurance of His constant presence with us amid the stresses and anxieties of life. It doesn't mean our concerns and burdens go away, but it means the assurance that God is with us in the midst of those stresses and anxieties. And our sanctification is assured by God's promise. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He is the God who is absolutely dependable. Many people are not faithful, many are not dependable. We can't always count on our friends. Even professionals fail us. Promises that are made are often not kept. In marriage, in business, in friendships. But God is faithful. And He will do it. He is not passive. He is active in our lives. And He finishes what He starts. We can always count on Him. This is all very good news that has enormous implications for you and me right here in Houghton. This isn't just an ivory tower discussion. This directly impacts how we live on a day-to-day basis. God calls us to be sanctified through and through, and He is faithful. If we allow Him, He will do it. And when He does it, it will affect every area of our lives. It will affect what I put into my mind what I read, what I watch on TV, what I view on the internet. Are my thoughts pure and holy before God? It will affect my relationships, how I treat others in my church and my community. It means submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Am I honoring the Lord in the way that I treat those around me? How am I treating my spouse, my children, my parents, Those that I work with, my friends, my boyfriend or girlfriend, it affects my relationships. It will affect my attitudes. Being sanctified means that I will guard my heart so as not to become cynical or critical of others. I will be careful not to let any root of bitterness take hold in my heart. I will practice forgiving others, however hard that may be. I will not give in to self-pity when things get tough. 
I will trust the Lord to see me through and be thankful for his goodness. It will affect my work. It means I will pursue my work with honesty and integrity, striving to give God my very best in all that I do. It will affect my finances. I will consistently tithe and give him what is rightfully his. I will seek to be a good steward of what he has given to me and manage it with integrity. Am I honoring God and the way I handle my finances? It will affect how I handle change. Can I be flexible about change? Will I trust the Lord when so many things around me are changing so fast? It will affect how I handle conflict and differences of opinion. Do I insist on my rights, my own way? Am I able to accept others even if they disagree with me strongly? Being sanctified means that I will watch what I say and how I say it to those with whom I disagree, recognizing that they too are created in the image and likeness of God. And I will seek to be redemptive in my words and my actions toward those with whom I disagree. Sanctification is practical. It, it has implications for our day-to-day -day living. In fact, the very context of these verses reminds us that holiness is practical, that it affects our everyday lives. In verses 12 to 22, as Paul brings this letter to a close, he reminds us that there are some things that we, we should and must be doing as God's people. Pray for those who take care of us in the Lord. Live in peace with each other. Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Strive to do what is good for each other. Rejoice, pray, give thanks in all circumstances. Hold on to what is good and reject whatever is harmful. And it's right after giving these very practical instructions that Paul prays for us, that God would sanctify us through and through, make us entirely holy, he knows we can't do it ourselves. This well-known humorous little prayer illustrates the point. Dear Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. And I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm going to need a lot more help. And that's the point of Paul's prayer. We need God's help. Thankfully, being sanctified through and through is not something that we do. It's something God does. It's a mighty work of grace in our hearts that he alone accomplishes. That's good news. By and through God's grace, God himself desires to free us from the inclination to sin. He desires to make us want to do right. He's able to keep us from double-mindedness, to set us apart exclusively for his use. By and through God's grace, we are set apart to do the will of God because of his faithfulness. This morning, we would do well to echo the prayer of Charles Wesley in the hymn that we'll sing together following the Lord's Supper. Refining fire, go through my heart, illuminate my soul, scatter thy life through every part, and sanctify the whole. The one who calls us is faithful.
And if we allow him, he will do it. He will sanctify us through and through so that we will be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you are the God who not only saves us, redeems us, but that you are the God who restores us, the God who sanctifies us through and through. Lord, you know each of our hearts this morning. You know our burdens, our concerns. You know the secret places of our hearts. You know the sins that we struggle with. The sins that we keep hidden. We know that nothing is hidden from your sight. Lord, I pray for each one of us this morning that you would indeed sanctify us through and through. Set us apart for your use. Cleanse us. Purify us. So that truly we will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the one who calls us to be sanctified by his grace also calls us to receive his grace at his table. And so I invite you this morning to prepare your hearts to receive the Lord's Supper together. On the night that he offered himself up for us, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks to the Father and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat this. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks to the father and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Father, on the day that you raised Jesus from the dead, he was recognized by his disciples in the breaking of the bread. And in the power of your Holy Spirit, your church has continued in the breaking of bread and in the sharing of the cup. And so in remembrance of all of your mighty acts in Christ Jesus, we ask you to accept this our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, which we offer in union with Christ's sacrifice for us as a living and holy surrender of ourselves. Send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts that in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this cup, 
we may know the presence of the living Christ, be renewed as his body, and grow into his likeness. Amen. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction, which simply means when you come, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, and eat it. In the Wesleyan Church, we practice open communion, which simply means that if you are earnestly seeking and desiring a relationship with Christ, regardless of your background or history, we invite you to come to his table. Come now to the table of our Lord.
I invite you now to take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 319, Jesus, Thy All-Victorious Love.
invite you to receive the benediction. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Thank you.